So we are looking at John chapter 10 this week, and the title of today's talk comes from verse 15, which says, Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And as Giles was explaining to us a few weeks ago, the phrase, just as, that we're looking at each week throughout this series of talks, is making a comparison with something. And the comparison this week is with the first part of the sentence, which starts in verse 14. So I'm going to read both uh, those verses now. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, if we just looked at those two verses and in isolation, we'd perhaps be struggling to understand what Jesus meant by this, this knowing, this knowledge. So we're going to be looking at some of the surrounding verses, which hopefully will give us enough context to see what Jesus um, meant here. Before I do that, I just want to say something about the word good. Um, the word good that we read in verse 14, I am the good shepherd, because... I think we could really just use that phrase as a really good summary statement to put over the whole of this passage. Do you know what it means? The word good in the word in the phrase good shepherd, the title good shepherd. We use it in everyday life, don't we, the word good, um, in all sorts of different ways. And if anyone else had um, said that, that they were a good shepherd, we'd kind of assume that they may be making a job application or filling out their CV or something. They'll be talking about their competence in uh, shepherding. But the Greek word, which is translated here as good in our English versions, means so much more than that. And the definition in my Greek Bible dictionary includes things like worthiness and uprightness and moral excellence and even Beauty. In fact, the word beauty is the first word in the in, in, in the um, in the the definition. So when we apply that definition to the good shepherd, it feels like the word good is not a very good translation, really. He is so much more than that. He is the the beautiful shepherd. And it reminds me of Philippians 4 and 8. Uh, whatever is true. Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And our beautiful shepherd is all of that, isn't he? True, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Think about such things. And that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to look at the chapter in three sections. And we'll see that there are different characters um, that we could look at. There are Pharisees, and there are thieves and robbers, and there are gatekeepers and hired hands, and there's even a few wolves roaming around. Um, but the main roles, of course, in these metaphors are the sheep and the shepherd. So that's what we're going to focus on this morning. Firstly, let's um, say something about the sheep. And of course we know, don't we, that the Bible often is talking about us when it talks about um, sheep and it does that in order to teach us important truths about our, 
ourselves. And it's not the most flattering comparison, is it, to be fair? Um, because sheep are not the brightest of animals. Uh, they're timid, and they're stubborn, and they're prone to wandering and getting lost. Uh, and they sometimes get stuck, like the sheep that got its head stuck in the fence of our garden, trying to, trying to break in. So they are pretty stupid uh, creatures, uh, really. And, uh, and if, if they ever lie down for a rest, and apparently this happens if they ever dare to do this on a bit of a slope or in, in a bit of a hollow, and they manage to get all four feet off the ground while they're lying down, they can't get back up again. They're, they're, it's what they call, um, the, the sheep is called cast. And it doesn't matter how much it struggles, it cannot get back to its feet. Its weight, of, its balance, centre of gravity changes, especially with pregnant sheep. They can't get back up again, so uh, totally helpless. So, you know, if you're ever out walking and you see a cast sheep um, lying down struggling, do it a favour, just roll it over, because it cannot get up without your help. And, and knowing what sheep are like, it's no surprise, is it, that through Isaiah, God says in Isaiah 53, we know the verse well, God says that we are all like sheep who have gone astray. And the tragedy of our situation is captured in Matthew chapter 9, where it says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So that's us. We are helpless and we are needy. And the Lord Jesus is the shepherd who has come to our rescue. He's the shepherd who provides all that we need and more. And in the three sections that I'd like to um, divide the passage into, I'd like to say something about, firstly, the shepherd's relationship with the sheep. Secondly, the shepherd's provision for the sheep. And thirdly, the shepherd's love for the sheep. Let's take those in, in order. The shepherd's relationship to his sheep. We're looking at the first six verses of John chapter 10. So let me just read those. So from verse 1, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognise a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. So let's try and understand what the Lord Jesus was saying here. And the first thing to say, I think, is that this relationship that we're thinking about here is a relationship of familiarity. As we read in verses 1 to 3, when the shepherd goes into the sheepfold, the sheep hear and recognise his voice. They know their shepherd and they respond to his call and they follow him. Jesus uses different metaphors in this um, passage and here he's referring when he's talking about the sheepfold he's referring to a large communal sheepfold the likes of which you might get outside um, a town and 
in the sheepfold there will be flocks belonging to more than one shepherd. And the gatekeeper was someone who knew the shepherds and therefore he would let the shepherds uh, into the fold but only the sheep that belonged to that particular shepherd would follow that shepherd out to pasture um, when he called them. And I think one of the important points uh, to note here is, is in verse 3 which says that the sheep listen to his voice. So obviously we can highlight here what we know already that the, that's very important, that we listen for the voice of the Lord. And by that we mean his precise words that we can read in our Bibles, but then also by prayer and in meditation and in the experiences of daily life we can be uh, listening for his leading and prompting uh, through the indwelling Holy Spirit. But we should also notice that the sheep are not just responding to the sound of his voice. It says that he calls his own sheep by name. He knows his sheep, each and every one of them. And likewise, the Lord Jesus has a complete and intimate knowledge of you and me. In Luke 12, Jesus says that even the very hairs of our heads are all numbered. Now, with me, that's not such a big deal, but if you've actually got her, then you'll recognise that that's quite a, quite a big thing for him to know how many hers are on each of our heads. But the Lord Jesus knows us so much more than that, doesn't he? And Psalm 139 says that he knows everything that we do and everywhere we go and everything that we think. And all the days of our lives are known to him before we've even lived them, it says. He knows our weaknesses and failures. He knows our hopes and fears. He knows our doubts and difficulties. And he knows all that, Hebrews 4 tells us, with the empathy of someone who has walked in our shoes. Someone who has been tempted in all ways, just as we are, yet, of course, without sin. The psalm also says that he knew our um, knew us before our bodies were even formed and Ephesians 1 goes even further back than that and says that before the creation of the world um, he knew us and if we refer to our key verse again we can marvel at the fact that the knowledge that Jesus has of us is as intimate as the knowledge that he has of the Father and it's as intimate as the knowledge that the Father has of the Son. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. It's incredible isn't it that he should have such a deep and intimate knowledge of you and me and of course our ability to know him is so far diminished because of our finite capacity and all the things in our lives that get in the way. But that's the, the invitation to know him back as intimately as he knows, he knows us. So that's our relationship with our shepherd as the sheep and a relationship based on familiarity. Let's think now about the shepherd's provision for the sheep. I'm reading from verse 7 now. 
Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So to understand this part of the passage, we need to just recognise that Jesus is using a slightly different metaphor here because he's now describing himself as the gate to the sheepfold. And like the gatekeeper I mentioned earlier, he's the person in the entrance to the fold who keeps the sheep safe at night. And anyone who wants to get into the fold needs to go through him. Um, verse 9 we read, I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. Now it's not such a big change um, in the metaphor really because in the first example we were thinking about a large communal uh, sheepfold, the likes of which that used to get near to the, to the larger towns. Um, and in that case there would typically be a professional gatekeeper so to speak who would, probably wasn't one of the shepherds um, and he would be the one who would be controlling access for all the other shepherds. But away from the towns you would tend to get smaller sheepfolds, which would only have one flock, and therefore the shepherd himself would also be the gatekeeper, guarding just his, his own flock. And of course, when we picture the Lord Jesus as the gate, um, we might be reminded of his words in John chapter 14, when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So certainly we can use the thought of um, us coming into the sheepfold through Jesus as a gospel illustration. But the picture here is a lot more than just about how we get saved at the point of salvation when we're born again and we become new creations. In fact, I think the picture here in John 10 assumes that we've already done that because this is a portrait of how Jesus looks after the sheep who are already in his flock. And Jesus described his sheep going in and out of the sheepfold. And of course that doesn't mean that we have to keep getting saved over and over again every time we want to come back into the sheepfold. Because when we put our trust in the Lord Jesus we become part of his flock forever, don't we? And that means we can enjoy both the safety of the sheepfold but also have safety when we go out into um, the pasture to find pasture. because. The shepherd's always with, you, with us, isn't he? The Lord Jesus never, ever leaves us. And as Psalm 23 reminds us, the Lord is the shepherd who makes us lie down in green pastures and who leads us beside quiet waters and refreshes our souls and, and so on. He provides for us everything, doesn't he? Everything that we need. He offers life to the full. Lives not hidden in the sheepfold, but lives enjoying his blessings and the privileges of service out in the real world as we follow his teachings, of course, which is um, absolutely key if we consider ourselves sheep who are following the shepherd. And of course, if I refer again to our key verse, we know that we can trust that wherever he leads us, it will be for our good, because he has this intimate knowledge of us. 
He knows what we need. He knows what we're capable of. He knows our weaknesses. He knows what we enjoy. The good shepherd knows what is best for his sheep. So we need to, to follow him, don't we? And that brings me to my third topic. We thought about the relationship based on familiarity. We thought about the shepherd's care for his sheep. But we don't just follow him because he's brought us into a relationship where he knows everything about us. That could be a relationship based on fear. And we don't just um, follow him because he's able to provide for our, our needs. Um, that's a more of a self-centered kind of following, isn't it? For what we can get out of him. We follow him because his motivation for wanting a relationship with us and his motivation for wanting to care for us is based on love. Incredible, amazing, divine love. Let's talk about the shepherd's love for his sheep. Verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The shepherd's love for the sheep. In Matthew 9, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we have Jesus um, showing compassion, having compassion on the crowds because he saw how harassed and helpless they were like sheep without a shepherd. Compassion is an emotional response to the needs of others. Likewise when Jesus saw the tears of Mary following the death, the death of Lazarus, um, the scriptures say that he was deeply moved and of course that Jesus wept. Here is a shepherd who loves his sheep. How much does he love us? In John 15, of course, Jesus said that greater love is no one than this, than to give their life for someone else. And here in today's passage, four times Jesus says that he will give his life for the sheep. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, I lay down my life. And verse 18, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. The contrast with the hired hand is huge, isn't it? As it says in verse 13, the hired hand cares nothing for the sheep. But to the good shepherd, the sheep are everything because he loves them. 
So, what can we conclude from our passage today? We've thought about three aspects of our relationship with the Lord as the sheep of his flock. And by the way, um, you, you know this already, but to be clear, we are all part of that flock. In verse 16, Jesus refers to other sheep who were not part of the sheepfold at that time because he was talking to the Jews who thought they were the only sheep that God cared about and he was talking about the Gentiles. He was talking about you and me, Jews and Gentiles brought together into one flock under the one good shepherd. That's the relationship that we've been brought into. So we thought about a relationship where there is a deep mutual knowledge. He knows us intimately and he calls us to follow him. We listen to his voice, don't we? We recognise his voice. And of course, we need to obey his voice if we are going to follow him and enjoy all of those blessings that he wants to he wants to give us. Which brings us on to the fact that it's a relationship where there is the provision of care. He provides everything we need and so much more besides. In fact, Hebrews 1 tells us that the Lord Jesus is the heir of everything. And Romans 8 says that we can be co-heirs with Christ. He wants to share with us everything that is his, which is everything. And then thirdly, we thought about it being a relationship with love as its foundation. An immense love, a sacrificial love. A love demonstrated at Calvary when the Good Shepherd did indeed <coughs> lay down his life for the sheep. And our key verses, as we've thought, have compared our relationship with the Lord with the intimate relationship that he has with his Father. And it's not exactly the same, um, surely, but it's comparable, it's similar. It's the same type of relationship in many ways. And we can just be in awe of that and give God thanks for that and enjoy all the encouragement that that should give us in our day-to-day -day lives. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep.